Bibles, I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture from Luke 17 and 1 and, uh, and from Matthew 18 and 7. And uh, in Luke 17 and 1, and we've been reading the Scripture, I'm just going to read part of this verse. But Jesus said to His disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And then in Matthew 18, 7, basically the same thing, just said in a little different way, where in, in, in Matthew 18 and 7, He said, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. So two different places there, <clears throat> Jesus said that you and I, everybody, will have the opportunity to be offended. Somebody somewhere along the line at some point in time will, will do something to uh, hurt us, to uh, upset us, to anger us, and to give us an opportunity to become offended. So we t we've been talking about that, that how offense is the bait of Satan and how Satan uses offense and that opportunity to be offended as a bait to get us to take that bait, to entrap us and to snare us. The word offense itself is the Greek word scandalon, which means uh, that word scandalon is a part of a trap uh, or a snare where the bait is attached. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, any kind of trap, there's got to be some bait there, like a mouse trap, that little piece you put the cheese on there. And that's the, the scandalon, the, the part that the bait is on. And if, if you're drawn, if the mouse is drawn to that bait, he's trapped in that trap. An offense is a trap that Satan uses to enslave a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that are, are in, in bondage to that trap of offense. And the Lord said that we would have that opportunity to be offended, that offenses will come. And uh, so, but the Bible also gives us examples and teaches us that we can be free from all that offense, that we do not have to, as Christians that are born again and we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, we have the, the nature of Christ, we've been, we've been given the righteousness of Christ, amen? Well, you know, we don't have to allow ourselves to become offended, but many times, even within the body of Christ, within the church, people still allow offense in their life. And when we do that, if we do that, it just opens the door for the enemy because with offense comes unforgiveness, comes bitterness, um, comes hard feelings, and even it, it can even progress to the place of revenge where uh, you get that, uh, that attitude, well, I'm going to, you know, they did it to me, so I'm getting back to them. I'm giving it back to them. I, you know, the old, the old cliche, the old phrase people use sometimes, well, I don't get mad. I just get even. Well, you know, not, not for Christians we don't. It's not supposed to be the, the case with children of God. So we're talking about that. And today, uh, you know, last week we, we saw how, remember last week's lesson, we talked about Joseph, 
And we saw how Joseph's brothers sought to destroy him and, uh, you know, what all they did to him and the pain that Joseph experienced from that betrayal that he, ex that he, that he uh, experienced at the hand of his brothers. But we also saw everything that Joseph went through and then in the end how he forgave his brothers um, and wound up at the end doing good to them. And he told them, you know, you don't, don't, I'm not blaming you. It was God that sent me here. And uh, he didn't seek revenge against them, but he forgave them. And so um, the, 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 lesson, the lesson today, this evening that we want to look at was, um, is, is, is dealing with a different situation, a little bit different situation, but still a painful situation but how that we can be betrayed or hurt from a leader that we are following or a mentor or someone in our life that we look up to, whether it would be a pastor or someone in, in some kind of authority position that, you know, that, you, that could some way or somehow um, bring uh, hurt or harm to you from somebody, you know, being offended, um, offense that would come from those that are, that are there, you know, individuals that are there, and you can, you know, we can use a pastor for an example, a Sunday school teacher, and, and, and someone along that line. But those that are there to help us, those that are there to, to care for us and to nurture us, and then to be betrayed by an individual that you are looking up to or depending on for spiritual help, and then to have them to mistreat you or, or betray you in some way, that's a painful situation. And it is an opportunity to become offended and to become angry and all kinds of different emotions, to become bitter and all that. And there's a lot of people, and I just want to say this, that there are a lot of people tonight that, are, that, that at one time were in church in, 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 you know, living for the Lord that are out of church. And if you'd ask them why they don't go to church, invite them to church, and then you ask them why they don't go, well, a, a pastor or a leader somewhere has done me wrong, or I got hurt by a pastor, or got hurt in a particular church by leadership. And it does happen. But listen, it does happen. I whoops, sorry about that. I pray, <laughs> I pray all the time that you know, I, I, my, my, it's never my desire to hurt or offend anyone. And uh, but if we are offended by leadership, we the one thing is we cannot allow that offense or what whatever they've done to us or however they've hurt us, we cannot allow that to get us out of fellowship with the Lord out of the, from the body of Christ, amen, there's, there's, there's forgiveness and there's healing, amen. So we have an example, a Bible example of this in the relationship um, of, between Saul and David in the Old Testament. This is one of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament, that story of Saul and David. And uh, because Saul was a father figure and a mentor and a leader in David's life. When you study the story of Saul and David uh, and how David came to Saul, if you remember, and we'll just touch on some of these things, but you'll remember Saul had been anointed king, had been chosen and anointed king over Israel. 
And uh, he, uh, you know, he had a good future, but he had a problem obeying the Lord. And um, he opened up the door through his disobedience. He opened up a door for an evil spirit to come and to torment him. And the only way that Saul could be refreshed, they called for somebody. They wanted somebody that could come and play some music and do some, do some worship and play some music so that he could be refreshed. And they found David. And they brought David from the sheepfold and brought him before, but brought him before Saul. And David would play on his harp, I guess, or his, I guess that's a type of guitar, I don't know. But he would play on the harp, the stringed instruments, and David was anointed. He had been anointed by Samuel. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And David would play and he would sing those psalms that he had written before Saul. And when he would play that anointed worship music, the evil spirit that was upon Saul would depart from him and he would be refreshed. That, has, that says a lot about, about good worship music and how important that is. But uh, that was the only relief that Saul could get was when David came and played on his harp. Then, um, then we know the story of David and Goliath, how that that the, the, the armies of Israel, Saul was leading the armies of Israel against the Philistines and they had that big giant Goliath that come out there, you know, and, and uh, made a challenge to the men of Israel every day and said, you send somebody down here to fight with me and if they can, if they can whoop me, you know, and we'll serve the, the Israelites. If I defeat them and kill them, then you guys will serve us. And nobody would go. Saul, none of, his, none of his army, but David came and killed Goliath. We know that story. That's an awesome story as well in the Bible. But David came and killed Goliath, and when he did, uh, Saul had promised that he would give whoever killed that giant, he would be able to have his daughter for a, a wife. So David won Saul's favor. He won Saul's daughter for his wife. And David then was brought into the very palace to be one of the kings and live one, as one of the king's sons and to live with the king. He was given a place to eat at the king's table with his own sons and he was made a part of the family of Saul. And David, I'm sure, was thrilled. He was excited about this. I mean, here's this little shepherd boy. Now he's a part of Saul's family, so to speak. He's living in the palace. He's eating at the king's table. He's married to the king's daughter. So the king's, he's the son-in-law of the king. He's, uh, he's friends and in covenant relationship with the king's son's, son, Jonathan. And uh, they're just like brothers. He's having a successful um, uh, uh, military campaign. He's got favor with the people. Everything is going good for David. Everything is looking. You couldn't ask for anything better. Amen? And that, you know, that's a good story there. I'd like to be like that. You know, just every, I've experienced times, anybody experienced times like that? When just every, every blessing's just falling on you like, like cherries off a tree. And so Saul favored David. And Saul had become a father figure to David, and Saul had become a leader and a mentor to David. And David was probably pretty sure that, you know, he's in this right place. Saul's going to mentor him. Saul's going to train him. And one day he'll step in because he'd already been anointed by Samuel. And he's figuring this is God working everything out. So one day he'll just step onto the throne. Saul is going to, when he steps down... David's on the throne as king, so everything's going good. But one day, 
everything went south. Everything turned sour. Everything went bad. Because one day, the women all came out with their tambourines and they was worshiping and they was singing on the streets. And they sang a song that said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he became infuriated. And from that day, when Saul heard that, there was a jealous spirit that got a hold of him that totally changed his attitude toward David. It infuriated him. And he, became, he came to the place where now he totally despised David. Somebody that one day really loves this boy, and then all of a sudden his attitude changes toward him, and now he can't stand to even look at him. Mm. Does that ever happen today? I've had it happen to me. I don't know about anybody else. But, uh, but, but here Saul now begins to hate David, and he was, David's forced to run for his life because he's in there playing like he always did, and the evil spirits on Saul, and all of a sudden Saul, he just gets in this rage against David, and he's got a javelin in his hand, and two different times he throws a javelin at David, trying to pin him to the wall, trying to destroy his life. So the man who was David's mentor, the man who was his spiritual father, was now trying to kill him. And so Saul, David has to run for his life, and Saul chased David, got 3,000 men together to chase after one guy. 3,000 soldiers to chase after one guy. And the one purpose, the one purpose that Saul had was to totally kill and destroy David's life. He wanted him dead. And so, since this was happening now, Saul hates him, Saul's trying to kill him, Saul's chasing him down, and this is a perfect opportunity for David to become offended. It's the perfect opportunity because David has done absolutely nothing wrong at all. And not only, not only uh, is it an opportunity for David to become offended at Saul, but it's also an opportunity for David to become offended with God. And we, we mentioned that, you know, I think last week, because that happens to people too. They get offended because David could have said, why would God allow this to happen? I mean, he's had, had Samuel anoint me to be king, and now here, here all this is going on. Why would God allow this to happen to me? And there's a lot of people tonight that are offended with God, that are angry at God, that are holding, holding you know, heart, wrong feelings against God because they, something's happened in their life, and they say, why did God allow it? God could have stopped it if he wanted to. And I don't understand everything that happens in people's lives, but I do know one thing, and that is this. We cannot afford to be angry or offended with God regardless of what happens. We dealt a little bit last, last week with that with the life of Joseph. We can't afford to be angry or offended with God no matter what happens in our life. Amen? Jesus told, gave that, you know, said about John the Baptist, when John the Baptist said, you know, are you the one that should come or should we look for another? And, and the thing that Jesus sent back to John said, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So when things don't go the way that we think they are to, uh, we don't know why, but don't get offended with God. Don't, get mad, don't hold a grudge against God. Come on, Amen. 
So Saul became totally, completely, absolutely incensed on destroying David. He was so, he so hated David that one of the saddest stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and every time I read through the Old Testament and I get to this story, it just, it just breaks my heart where Saul was so incensed with, against David and, one, and hated him so bad that he, he, he killed 85 of the priests of the Lord, Saul did, at, at the city of Nob because that, high, that priest had, and those people of that city had helped David, had given him bread to eat, had given him direction, had given him the sword of Goliath, had helped him. And Saul was so angry about that that he, he it's such, such bitter hatred that he, had, um, that he had Doeg to kill and slay 85 of God's um, uh, anointed men and priests. That's how much he hated David. But uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 24 how that Saul went after David with those 3,000 men. And one day he was chasing David and in the, the, the uh, wilderness of En Gedi, um, Saul and his men had stopped there in the wilderness in a cave there in the wilderness um, to rest there in a cave, not knowing, how I many is familiar with this, not knowing that David was in the cave, he was hiding in the cave, and Saul and his men come there to that cave. That's how close he came to catching David. But he's in the cave, Saul's in the cave, and he's, he's resting, and he removed his outer robe, uh, and laid it aside. And when he did, and he's, he's resting there, the Bible says that David, remember David slips up there and takes the robe of Saul, and Saul has no idea he's there. I mean, David could kill him right then. But he takes the robe of Saul, and he cuts a piece of that robe off. And then he came to Saul and he cried out to Saul. And here's what David saw. He's got the piece of Saul's robe in his hand. And in 1 Samuel 24, 11, he said, My father, see, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. And here's what David was saying. Saul, I, look at here, I've got, the, I've got a piece of your robe. I was there. I could have cut your head off instead of just cutting a piece of your robe. I didn't kill you. You are to see by this that there's no rebellion in my heart against you. That, that, that I've not sinned against you. Why are you hunting my life? David was saying to him, David was saying, you know, Saul, what I need, I need you. I, I need a leader to train me, to help me, to lead me, not to hunt me down and to destroy me. And you know, that's a great need within the body of Christ today and the church today. We need good spiritual leaders and men of God and women of God within the church, within the body of Christ today. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. And there's many times that leaders will view God and uh, this, is, this is a point, you know, we, we do want to touch on, but many leaders view God's people as a resource to serve their vision instead of seeing the vision as a vehicle to serve the people. 
And we see that happening a lot within the church and within the body of Christ because there's a lot of, of leaders today that are in it to just get what they can get out of the people. And that's not what ministry is all about. Just use, use them until they can get everything they can of them and, and then cast them aside. But the success of the vision that God puts in a, in a minister's heart or in a leader's heart justifies the cost. Uh, in, their, in their eyes, it justifies the cost of wounded lives and shattered people. And justice and mercy and love is being compromised for success. Decisions within churches are being based on money and numbers and results instead of helping to build the people in their walk with the Lord. And that should be the very first priority in, in a pastor's heart and life and within the body of Christ is to build the spiritual life of that congregation. Amen. And I believe that as, as leaders will do that, God's going to take, take care of the other parts of it if we'll work on building the people and being a blessing to the people and helping those that place themselves in that ministry. Can I get an amen? I believe that's the way it should be. Some leaders have cut off people under them because of suspicion. See, Saul enjoyed the success of David until he saw David as a threat to him. And as soon as those women said, Woo, well, Saul, he's killed thousands. Boy, David's better than him. He's killed 10,000. I had this, I had the same situation happen to me in my life. And uh, preached, ministering in a church, and, and uh, the pastor... Um, I was helping out in that church and the pastor asked me to help him do some ministry on Sunday morning and preach Sunday morning. He had me to preach an Easter Sunday service. And I didn't want, I didn't want the church. I was there to minister to him and minister to those people. And uh, I preached an Easter Sunday service and, and someone after service, not thinking, went to the pastor and just made the statement and said, Boy, he's, he's going to get your job. And from that day forward, there was a suspicion. And that was the farthest thing from my mind or heart was to take anybody's place or, you know, get their job, so to speak, or whatever. But that's kindly the way it was here between Saul and David. Saul was suspicious of David. He didn't trust David. He thought David was after his throne. And so he looked for a reason to destroy him because he felt threatened by him. And there's a lot of leaders that are, God, help us, you know, not to be that way. Amen? But there's a lot of leaders and a lot of uh, in ministries that are that way. But David was, David, David was concerned. Here Saul doesn't believe him, and David's concerned that Saul believed that he was rebellious, that he was evil. And I, and I know that David had to search his heart and probably searched his heart wondering where he missed it. Where did I go wrong? What did I do to cause Saul to hate me so bad? And uh, why did he, you know, he, 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 was, he wanted me there and then all of a sudden he turned against me. What did I do to cause that? Has anybody ever wondered that? You have, have people, you know, that just, you know, that turn against you and you think, what did I do? To, you know, and, and people get offended and you're thinking, what, how did I offend them? If 
you're offended by someone, the Bible says, go to them and tell them. Between you and him alone. Here, you know, because listen, majority of the time that individual did it without even realizing what they did. And it can be settled and worked out right there. But, but when, that, when that point is skipped, people don't do that. They just go on and they begin to tell everybody else. They don't tell the person they're offended at. They tell everybody else, you just know what they did, what they did to me. It's quiet in this Pentecostal Bible study tonight. But you know that's the truth. You know, if we, if we would deal with issues the way the Bible says to deal with them, they'd be taken care of right away. Amen? Amen. Woo, hallelujah. So David, David's searching his heart. And uh, why, you know, that's, I believe, why he cried out in that one verse of Scripture. It says, someone urged me to kill you, but I said, no, only cut off the corner of your robe so that you could know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. He wanted to prove to Saul Saul, I'm not, I'm not after your position. I don't want to hurt you. I'm for you. I want, to, I want you to mentor me. I want to be a blessing to you and a help to you. But David thought that if there was some way he could just prove his love for Saul, that Saul would restore him back to favor again. And he was really blaming David. I can see David here kind of blaming himself for Saul's rejecting him. And... Uh, what did I do to cause Saul to turn against me? And I think we've all experienced that. Every pastor that I know of, when, when, when people leave a church, that's the first thing that pastor thinks is, all right, what did I do? What could I have done? What could I have said that would cause folks to leave? That's why I, you know, there's a, and we, I think we'll be probably next week be dealing with this, this issue on how to leave a church. There's a right way and a wrong way. There's a pamphlet I've had out there on the right way to do it. A lot of people I'm thinking about, I need to mail them one of those. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Because there is a right way and a wrong way. And we'll deal with that a little bit next week. But if, because here's the thing. If God puts you in a church and sends you to a church and plants you in a church, Amen. then you need to stay in that church till God Amen. moves you to another church. Amen? Amen. Amen. You, don't, you don't leave because you're offended. You don't leave because you're upset. You don't leave because um, somebody sat in your seat. You don't leave because of, of, of a thousand various different reasons. But if God placed you there then stay till God moves you. Let the Lord tell you. Because here's the thing. Now I'm jumping ahead to next week. But because here's the thing. If, if a person leave, if God puts a person in the church and they leave that church without God telling them, but they leave because they're offended, they're out of the will of God. Amen. Preview. That's previews coming attractions. <laughs> but Saul... Acknowledge David's goodness. He did acknowledge his goodness when he saw that David could have killed him and didn't. So he and his men, Saul and his men left. And so David thought, it's all over. Glory to God. I got through to him. 
He's not trying to kill me anymore. Everything's all right now. But guess what? Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, <laughs> everything's not all right as it seemed to be. But it was only a short time later that Saul was after David again with another th army of 3,000 soldiers. David asked Saul in one of those times, he said, Who have you come out? David said to Saul, Who have you come out? You've come out against a flea. He was calling himself a flea. He said, You've got 3,000 soldiers seeking after me? What's the deal? And, and so here he is without any provocation from David. He's so incensed by bitterness and offense that he still wanted to kill David. And he knew, Saul knew David's heart. He knew David didn't have anything against him. He knew David was not opposed to him. But still, he still came against him. He still remained offended. And so David has a second opportunity to kill him. And God's working, listen, God, this, this stuff didn't happen by coincidence. God's working this out to see, number one, how David's going to react to the situation. Is he really king material? And boy, when we read, hear how David responds and reacts to Saul, then we get a little better idea of what it meant when it said that God said concerning David, he's a man after my own heart. Oh, give us some saints, give us some Christians, give us some churches like that that are men and women after God's own heart. Jesus said, yeah, offenses are going to come. Get ready for them, but don't fall into the trap, into the snare. Don't take the bait that Satan lays out there. Amen? So here it is again, another opportunity. David and Abishai slipped into Saul's camp one night, undetected. Saul and his 3,000 men are all zonked out. And the Bible even said that God had put them in a deep sleep. This is supernatural going on here. They couldn't have woke them up if you'd went up there and started you know, banging on pots and pans. They wouldn't have woke up. God had put them to sleep. And they're in, they're in a deep sleep and God's given David another opportunity to see what he's going to do. And here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's the thing. They go into the camp where Saul and his men are asleep. Abishai pleads with David. And in, in, in 1 Samuel 26, Abishai says to David, God has delivered. Look, David. God's delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, let me strike him at once with the spear and just, just right to the earth. Let me put a spear through his body and kill him right here. And I'm going to tell you something. Abishai thought, I've got, a good, that I've got the right to do that. There's a good reason for, for why he thought David should allow him to kill Saul. And there were some good reasons why he should have went ahead and done it. Because Saul, as I said, he had murdered 85 innocent priests and their families in cold blood. He was there with an army of 3,000 to kill David. So it would have been actually self-defense. It would have been justifiable. I mean, they could have reasoned this all out. Samuel had anointed, Samuel had anointed David as king so he could claim, well, I'm anointed as king. I'm going to take my inheritance. 
And God himself had put the whole army to sleep so he could walk right into Saul and right into his army. So, you know, everything was pointing to, yeah, let's, this is it. Put him, put him out of his misery. Let's get rid of him. Put him off the earth. All the reasons sounded good. But David was receiving encouragement. Here he's receiving encouragement from another brother to get even. You ever have anybody do that to you? Somebody do you wrong and you're, you're you know, but then you got another brother saying, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd let them have, I'd give them a piece of my mind. That's the reason so many people don't have no mind left. They'd give everybody a piece. They passed out pieces everywhere. <laughs> Amen. But here, Abishai is instructing David, this is what we are to do. We are to get rid of him right now. This is your opportunity. But listen to me. If David, if he was the least bit offended, he would have felt justified in allowing Abishai to kill Saul right then and there. Wouldn't he? If he, was, if he had the least bit of offense against Saul for all that he had done to him, if he had the least bit of bitterness or unforgiveness or a grudge, if he would have had any of that in his heart, he would have said, take him out, Abishai. Take him out. But listen to David's response. Let me read it to you from 1 Samuel 26, verse 9. Here's David's response. Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, here was David's, here was David's belief on this. As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And I'm not saying this because I'm a, I'm a pastor, but we've got to be careful what, how we treat, what we say, what we do to leadership. Yeah, but Brother Rick, they did wrong. Well, do, did Saul do wrong? Absolutely he did wrong. But he was still the anointed of the Lord even though he had done wrong. And David said, God will not hold that person guiltless who stretches out his hand against the Lord's anointed. David would not avenge himself, but he left Saul in the hands of God. He said, God will deal with him. God will take care of him. And David made a decision, even though he knew that Saul only wanted his destruction. He, provide, he proved, he proved that day, David did, the purity of his heart when he twice had the opportunity to take Saul's life and he would not touch him. Saul was the anointed of the Lord and David left him in God's hands to judge him. And how many people do you know today that have a heart like David? Oh, we don't kill people with a physical sword. But we ravage one another with the sword 
of a different kind. And it's a sword called the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can encourage somebody with your tongue or you can destroy somebody with your tongue. Proverbs 12 and 18 says, There is he that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. So in other words, the words of your mouth are like, can be like the piercing. Anybody ever been pierced with a, you know, sharp words? I've heard people talk, you know, have some sharp words, and somebody asked them, said, have you been eating razor soup? <laughs> Listen to me. Churches split. Families divide. Marriages and homes are shattered. Love dies and are crushed by the onslaught of words that are launched in hurt and frustration. My, that's why God gave us a whole chapter in James 3 about the control of our controlling our tongue and our words. Our words matter. What we say matters. What we say to people, how we say it to people, and what we say about people matters because you don't have to pull out a gun and shoot somebody to kill them or a sword and stab them to kill them. You, I, it's done all the time, but people can be murdered, their reputation's murdered, they're destroyed by the words that we... that we speak. So we need to learn to hold our tongue, especially when our heart is bitter and we've been offended. Oh, I've got to hurry here. Offended by friends, family leaders, we take aim with words sharpened by bitterness and anger. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, he lists, he said, These six things does the Lord hate. Seven are an abomination. You know, does God, does God have the capacity to hate? I thought God was love. Well, He is love, but there are things. He, he loves righteousness, though, but the Bible says He hates iniquity. And there's six things that are listed in Proverbs chapter 6 that the Lord hates. And among those six things, he says, that he that sows discord or separation among the brethren is hated and is even an abomination to God. Well, David was wise when he decided to let God be Saul's judge. And that's the decision that you and I have to make when we've been offended, and if it's leaders or whoever it is, we've got to make that decision to put those people in the hands of God. When we've been done, let God take care of it. Let God deal with it. Amen? And God did take care of it. And God did judge Saul. And He used the Philistines to do it. Saul and his sons were fighting the Philistines, and, when, and, and they died fighting in that battle. But, but, but notice this, when the, when, the, when the news of their death reached David, the news came to David that Saul had been slain in battle, his enemy was dead. David didn't celebrate the death of Saul, but he 
he actually mourned over his enemy dying. He mourned over Saul's death. One man came to the camp of David and an Amalekite came and boasted that he had killed Saul and he thought that that that, that news was going to win him favor with David. But it didn't win him any favor with David because David said to that man, how was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? David even composed the song, and you can read it, read it in 2 Samuel 1, 17 through 27. But David wrote a song and composed a song about Saul. And in that song, he charged the people not to proclaim Saul's death in the cities of the Philistines so that the enemies would not rejoice against the, uh, because of the death of Saul. He called for all of Israel to weep over Saul's death. Let me tell you something, saints. As we read this and study this, we see that this is not the heart of an offended man. An offended man would have said this, Oh, well, thank God he got just what he deserved. I knew he had it coming. But that was not the response of David. David mourned over Saul's death. And David even went a little bit farther because he didn't, he didn't, he went a little farther in that he, David did not kill the remaining seed of the family of Saul. But he even sought out, he even sought out one of Saul's seed to show him kindness. Amen. Remember Mephibosheth? And David said, the king, he, David said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And he brought Mephibosheth out of Lodabar. He brought Mephibosheth to the palace. This was Saul's grandson, the man that had hunted his life and hated him. David said, I want to show kindness to the household of Saul. You just don't see that kind of thing. Even among born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost Christians. These guys, this was in the Old Testament. He brought Mephibosheth into the palace, set him at the king's table. Gave him, gave him lands, set him at the king's table. Took care of him the rest of his life. Showing kindness to the family of his enemy. Oh, God, help us. Help us. See, it's easy to be loyal and do good to those who love you, isn't it? That's that phileo love we talked about. You do me good, I do you good. You cross me and look out. That's not Christian. That's not Christ-like. What about the one that's out to hurt you and destroy you and tear you down? How do you respond to them? It takes a man or a woman after God's own heart to do what David did. My question is, will you be that person that will forgive, even if it's a leadership or whoever it may be, a boss on the job, whatever the case, a mentor, are you going to be there, be able to forgive when you've been done wrong? And I'm going to close with reading Romans 12, 19 through 21. The Apostle Paul said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, 
but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. One lady came to her pastor one time and said, telling her pastor how mean and ornery her husband was and how bad he treated her. The pastor said, well, have you tried heaping coals of fire on his head? And she said, no, I poured some hot coffee down his back, <laughs> but that didn't do it. <laughs> but do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't fall into the trap of offense, but forgive. Amen? Praise God. Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you and thank you tonight for your, for your, your spirit here tonight, for your, your word.